Hi, guys. <laughs> Yay, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> no, I fucked it up. Great. No, that's good. It's good. Welcome. <laughs> I mean, you already said that. Uh, yeah. Thank you for joining us for our very exciting 10th episode. It's exciting just because Ooh. it's a nice round number. It feels like we've hit a milestone. She's Double digits. The yeah. only one excited about it. Just me. Why? <laughs> <laughs> he has like wolves. a cheering crowd in there. <laughs> Brenna's stomach is excited. <laughs> God. I swear to God, I eat, I digest. It's just always too loud. <laughs> Did you have tomatoes? <laughs> no, I didn't. That buffalo sauce. Oh, that maybe? You don't I don't know. think. No, I, don't I think it's just vinegar. Yeah. And That's like all it tasted like. Sugar, probably. Yeah. And mm. color. So much color. <laughs> <laughs> all that color in your belly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So welcome to the Continental Writing Club. We're very excited. It's the 10th episode. And this time, all of us are excited. Yay. So. Yay. We're all excited. It takes some doing. You know, you got to get there. Yeah. Um, who's <laughs> we are three ladies who every two weeks have to write 500 words or less with prompts that we pick ourselves to torture ourselves. Five bitches, one page, fortnightly. Five bitches. No, one... three bitches, five... No, okay. You, <laughs> you get one more, one more shot. Three bitches, one page, fortnightly. Okay. All right. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't fix it. I, didn't fix it. I just got really excited about the fortnightly. <laughs> you did. In my head, it was very much a flight of the Concords moment, and uh, just jammed myself up. That's okay. That's okay. We forgive you. <laughs> Questioning look. That's perfect. Oh. So for this episode, it was Amy's prom. Mm-hmm. It was. Mm-hmm. And they were... A painting that's just a little too real. A hunt. A breakup and or a wedding. Or both. You be the pick. You be the why do I always say you be the pick? <laughs> I don't know, but I love it. <laughs> Words. Yeah. And in case you can't tell our voices apart at this you know, like if you haven't been listening and maybe you've never met us. My name is Brenna. I'm Reagan. I'm Amy. We know. You just put the props. <laughs> I will smack you. <laughs> oh, I look forward to it. Mm. And, you know, we're not sitting in our normal order. No. So. Tenth episode, mixing it up. Oh, you're just going to shake it up every time. Yeah, no, we sit every nine. Really I think we Ooh. sit in other orders before. Really? Yeah, mm. you've been in the middle before and. I guess it's, but I feel like it's usually, it doesn't matter. You know what, <laughs> listener, it doesn't matter where we normally sit and how confused we always are about the order of things. Yeah. Uh, but because it's my prompts, that means I don't go first. That means I go first. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Paper shovel. I will always tell the reader ahead of time. Oh, you, see, you stapled it together. I always put them to the side. Now I'm going to have to wrangle them all and... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for trying to help. God. I only want filtered water in my trailer. <laughs> yeah, I just got real pretty down in there. Sorry. Uh, all right. Anyway, the prompt that I, Reagan, chose was a painting that is too real. I feel like we just died. I, it's also, I have a soon. staple remover if you want to take a staple out of it and staple it again at the end. No, nah, it'll be fine. I'll just... It does feel like we've gone a little fast. Uh, yeah, I feel but, like we usually banter more. Or something. We don't need to, though. We don't, right? But we I don't want to talk to you people anyway. We do have time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, we have time. I don't, I mean, it's like two hours before my next commitment. Yeah, no, but now it's awkward because I've already started. Like, I, did, I feel like I just cut out a section of... Oh, I thought we were still negotiating the staple. I mean... Oh, well. <laughs> we're still negotiating the staple. <laughs> They're very cheap. It would not be a problem. We could do this. No, it's fine. Your stomach's just... in mm. All right. Hopefully all of that just gets removed. Amy, looking at you, just remove it all. Watch this be the one that I upload without doing any editing. Oh, the behind the scenes? I mean, you you can always do that, but that... Don't give her that power. Bad. She can always do that. She always could. There are things we don't want it's heard. It's really in her power. We don't want it heard. <laughs> I mean, it just means I'd start bringing back that whole closet joke again. But that's where you live. That was a Harry Potter thing from, like, a while ago. right, right. It was a cupboard. Yeah, well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now that we've filled some extra time, (laughs) let's just get to the story. 
thinking that's too real. <laughs> that's like a title for myself. <laughs> you are a painting that's too real. <laughs> Just too real. Can't even handle this shit. Mm, mm, but those brush strokes. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucking Monet. Alright. The ride to the estate was slow going, as it wasn't often traveled and had never been properly paved. Apparently, the late tenant of Grouse Manse had been a hermit of sorts and had encouraged the overgrowth to nearly retake the route. Margot fidgeted in the back seat, growing impatient to be out of the cramped cavalier. It smelled of stale cigarettes and the ceiling sagged like a bouquet of dying balloons. Old cars made her uncomfortable. They reminded her of her mother, and then of her mother's passing. She picked at her nail polish with renewed ferocity. Did you know the recently departed, Miss Fowl? The lawyer and person in charge of handling the transfer to the estate was a jowly man, the sort with skin that had clearly once been pulled much tighter. He had a drunk look about him, wet, pitiful eyes, though he had been nothing but kind to Margot since he had made contact. Oh, uh, no, Margot responded awkwardly. She had never even known she had a distant, rich, reclusive relative. But wasn't that always the way it worked? Some stranger dies alone and unloved, and their estate trickles down to a last known relative who just so happens to really be in need of an inheritance. Too good to be true, she thought. Well, he wasn't terribly social, I gather. Margot nodded. The silence stretched on and the car felt suffocating. Just when she thought she might need to request a pullover so she could breathe fresh air and stretch, they turned an overgrown corner and the house came into view. It was a massive, sprawling thing, all flagstone and German wood siding. The land had sent up creeping vines that hugged the entirety of the west wing of the house, and more were making an attempt along the front face of the manse. Wow, Margot said aloud. The lawyer grinned at her, his face a confusing mix of sad eyes and wry smile. Yeah, it has that effect, he said with appreciation. They pulled into a circular drive that had once been cobblestones in some distant decade. Leaves and gravel crunched under the weight of the car as they came to a stop. Despite her eagerness to be out of the car, Marco hesitated when opening the door. There was something about the house. It felt like a domesticated creature gone feral, like it didn't want anyone there. And yet, it seemed to call to her. That frightened her. Miss Fowl, the lawyer held her door for her and she crawled out into the brisk autumn air. Everything felt more intense here, so far from civilization. Nature smelled more alive and simultaneously more rotten, with musty dead leaves clumped about the house's foundation and the central fountain. Mold and moss had taken over the fountain's interior, which no longer functioned. All of the textures and colors glared vibrant. Margot inhaled deeply, slowly, eyes wide, but it was too much to take in. She never before realized how comfortable she had become with her tiny shared apartment with only one window and no nearby parks to speak of. It had been concrete and too many people for her for as long as she could remember. Could people be afraid of fresh air? She felt like she could. She was certain that was a thing. The lawyer gave her a concerned look as she hugged her jacket tight about herself. She gave him a reassuring smile. As if to prove she was okay, she grabbed up her luggage and headed to the broad steps, which led to the massive front doors. So you've been informed as to the process, yes, Miss Fowl? The evaluator asked as he and the lawyer followed her up the steps. Yeah, mostly. I just have to be present as a representative of the state and stuff, right? She lugged her suitcase up the steps, dragging leaves with it. Yes, but also to secure the 10% that will remain with the designated blood relative after the estate has been evaluated and reclaimed by the state. You will be responsible for deciding which items, amounting to that percentage total, will remain in your family's possession. He was a stiff man and Margot didn't care much for him. He made little attempt to make eye contact and never took off his expensive leather gloves and coat. He wouldn't be doing most of the work, she gathered. He would oversee the team of personnel that would be going over everything in the estate, tallying up the worth of the deceased grouse. Right, she responded quietly. The whole thing was a bit overwhelming, much like the massive house which loomed over her. She had never known much or had much of her own, and that had always been fine. She wasn't much of a dreamer, so she'd never imagined something like the grouse estate for herself. And now that it was hers, she was somewhat bitter that it would immediately be taken away again. Ten percent would probably be a substantial improvement to her life, but the disparity of what would be lost made her painfully aware of how small she'd been living up to that point. She glared at the back of the evaluator's head. It might not be his fault, but she didn't like him anyway. There we are. The lawyer unlocked the door and ushered them inside with a drooping smile. Margo made it a point to smile warmly back at him as she tugged her suitcase over the threshold. Margo had expected the interior to be as musty and old as the exterior, but instead, she was surprised to find it well cared for. Bright and gleaming surfaces everywhere, rich, warm wood tones and lush carpets, 
Delicately turned furniture with brocade cushions and creams and dusty blues, tassels and gold finishes, luster and crown molding everywhere she looked. Wow, she breathed again. The lawyer smiled again, but the evaluator only sniffed. Margot supposed he liked cold, austere, modern architecture, all glass and metal and no personality. Margot didn't feel appropriate bringing her humble belongings further into the stately room, so she left her suitcase just inside the door, soggy leaves and all. As she removed her scarf and coat, she was startled by the sudden appearance of a maid at her side, dressed in honest-to-God maid attire, freely head rough and all. The woman silently held out her hand to take Margot's things, and she just blinked at her stupidly. Ah, uh, yes, Miss Fowle, this is Grace, one of the staff that will be staying on for the week you are here. The lawyer handed her his coat and hat as he introduced the two of them. Oh, there will be staff? Margot reluctantly gave her coat over, then her scarf. The woman forced a pinched smile and dipped into the barest of curtsies before exiting into a side room. Margot marveled at the knowledge that there was an entire side room for coats. Yes, well, partial staff, and only during the day. You'll have them from nine to five, he responded. Grace curtsied to them again and almost missed Hitch in her stride before she exited the room and went off to do some other task. Margot could only imagine what that must entail. The amount of surfaces that must need dusting in that place was mind-boggling. Do I need to do anything with them? Margot asked uncomfortably. She didn't think she'd be able to manage the man's. She wouldn't even know where to begin. The lawyer chuckled and shook his head. No, no, they have things they'll be taken care of. Helping the evaluators, maintaining the basic running of the household, clearing out their own personal things, that sort of thing. The state is paying them out of the final value of the estate, so make good use of them while you have them, the evaluator drawled. Margot and the lawyer just looked at him. Apparently neither particularly cared for him, and he didn't seem bothered by it in the least. He turned and exited through a side door into what appeared to be a luxurious sitting room. He's right, though. There will be one chef on hand to cook brunch and an early dinner, and I suppose anything you request, and Grace and her team will tend to lighting fires and cleaning and such, so if you need more linens or laundry, just let her know. Margot nodded and followed the man into the sitting room. The lawyer gave her a quick tour of the estate, but Margot was certain she'd become lost if she wandered about without a guide. There were two wings attached to a main body of the manse, all with three floors apiece, and not all of them connected throughout. Most rooms were duplicated in furnishing, and she lost track of how many sitting rooms and libraries they passed through. She was frantically trying to remember where the bathrooms were before nightfall came, and she was left alone. It was one chaise lounge after another, one room of tussled papers and disorganized books into a dining room, into another library, into another study, into another lounge. She couldn't keep track of which rooms entered onto other rooms and which rooms only attached to hallways. It was a labyrinth of intoxicating colors and textures, and she was dizzy by the time they met back in the sitting room with the team of evaluators. The lawyer asked if she was all right, but she was so overwhelmed, all she could do was nod in silence. He must have noticed her panicked expression and stiff posture, though, because he whispered that she really only needed to keep to the first floor guest quarters. She was immediately grateful to the man as he pointed to the only door she'd need to find later. Bed and bath and all, he had whispered with a wink. She nodded her appreciation. The evaluator started in the upstairs, taking one room apart at a time, itemizing every single dusty volume of obscure studies and memoirs, every handkerchief and linen, every picture frame and picture, Margot had hovered over their work for an hour or so, but it was slow going, and the workers bickered over additions and resale values to the point where she grew irritated at them. They weren't seeing the objects as she was. They didn't appreciate the age and wear and history there. They only saw the value as it stacked up against the late Grouse's impressive debts. It was a depressing introduction to the manse, seeing it reduced to numbers in such a way. Instead, she found herself wandering through the rooms, getting further and further from anyone who might be able to guide her back. Grace had opened all the curtains throughout the house, and bright, warm light poured into every room, making the place far more inviting than she had thought it would be from the outside. It almost felt like night and day. Margot forgot how cold it had been on the other side of the glass, and wandered through a suspended spring, wallpaper and tapestries exploding with spring and summer gardens, verdant and alive. She lost hours to her exploring, and yet she still had only seen a fraction of the house by the time the sun dipped behind the tree line. Margot spotted one of Grace's team and had them escort her back to the main hall, which she had grown terribly separated from. Back in the main hall, she met with the team of evaluators and staff as they put on their coats and scarves and hats. She stood next to the door, seeing everyone off for lack of anything else to do. It felt very odd to be the one remaining behind in the massive house, while all of those who knew so much more about it than she slipped out the doors one by one. The chef, who appeared permanently sour, informed her that a meal had been left for her in the kitchen, and that there were plenty of things available should she want to make anything for herself. She nodded her thanks and wished everyone safe journeys, but she mostly just got glares and silent nods in return. She supposed it had been their home, the staff, and for her to wish them farewell from their own home was a bit cruel. 
She didn't belong there any more than the leaves that snuck in on the evening breeze. The lawyer was last to depart, and as he did, he shook her hand and gave her the large ring of keys to be state. I know this must be a bit overwhelming, but the week will move along quickly. You'll see. Here are the keys, though I must ask that you keep everything in the room you find it in. No point making the evaluator's jobs any more difficult. He winked and gave her another droopy smile before he tugged his collar up and made for the car, where a scowling head evaluator waited. She watched them pull through the circular drive before pushing the heavy door shut and locking it. Turning back to face the empty house, she found it no longer held the same wonder and warmth as it had that afternoon. Suddenly, she felt she was alone with a predatory thing, some great heavy presence that waited for her to make the first move. She felt quite small in that hollow entry room. Feeling eyes on her the entire way, she picked her way back through the house to the kitchen. She was extremely grateful to find the oversized, old-fashioned kitchen had a microwave. As her food reheated, she peeked through the various doors attached to the kitchen. One led to the main hall, one to the staff hall, one to a staircase presumably for bringing food to residents upstairs, and one to small dining room. As she neared the last door, she froze. A shadow flashed across the gap between double doors and hardwood floor. Her heart thudded in her chest as she was certain she heard a noise, like leaves crunching or wind rustling in trees. Perhaps a window had been broken or left open. She hesitated, hand on the brass knob, but then she heard it again. The distinct sound of branches shifting in the wind. She opened the door, expecting to feel the bite of the evening air, smell the musk of autumn, but there was nothing. The oversized dining room could have fit her entire apartment three times over. The table alone would have filled her apartment, its length covered in a crisp white runner and several decorative bowls and statuettes. There were at least two dozen chairs tucked in. Margaret didn't even think she knew enough people to ever fill them, should she host a party. She glanced around the room, spotting two windows spaced evenly along the short wall, but they appeared firmly shut, curtains hanging still in front of them. There was nothing stirring, nothing that could have made that sound, caused that shadow. She was baffled. But she found herself losing interest in the cause of a sound as she gazed into the room. What caught her attention was not the hulking cabinets full of expensive dishes and tableware, or the tiered chandeliers that hung over the table. It was the massive painting that covered most of a long wall across the table from her. Its frame was surprisingly thin and subtle for the style of the rest of the room, and for the scale of the painting. She was amazed the length of it didn't cause the frame to distort. The faint gold luster of the frame did little to enhance the apparent old wood texture of it. It appeared to be split in places, fractured with time, but it held firm. As she approached it, circling around the far side of a long table, the image in the painting seemed to shift with her point of view, foreground edging this way and that, seeming to reveal more of the background as she approached. But as she came to stand in front of it, it was just a painting again. The painting was at least ten feet in height and double that in length. It was so large she could have stepped right into it. Spread between the thin golden borders was an expansive view of a wintry forest, all pale, bare trees clustered here and there, with hardly any walking room between them. But there, just in the middle, a faint footpath. As she inspected it, she couldn't discern any brushstrokes. It was so smooth and believable, she might have thought it actually a window if it weren't for the fact that it was daytime in the painting. Unable to take it all in so close, she returned to the other side of the table and looked it over, walking the length of the table and back again. It was beautiful and unbelievably detailed, but there was something off about it. Frowning, she realized it was horribly composed. She couldn't understand why the artist had painted the path so directly in the middle, but didn't capitalize on any of the surrounding trees leading to it or highlighting. There was no real flow to the image. It wasn't chaotic enough to be interesting or composed enough to be soothing. It was, for lack of another way to look at it, it was just mundane, real forest. <laughs> she turned from the painting and returned to the kitchen and her lukewarm meal, which she ate quickly, setting the dishes in the sink. Finding herself exhausted after the long day, Margot dragged her suitcase through the house and into the guest quarters, changed to her nightclothes, and crawled into bed. She usually had trouble sleeping in new places, but she hardly had time to consider the comfort of the mattress before she slipped into oblivion. Margot dreamed that she heard the wind in the trees and a voice calling to her. She rose from her bed only to find that the entire manse was a forest. She could see the walls that defined the limits of the estate, but they were also trees, and their wallpaper were trees, and the furniture was trees and everywhere she turned, the trees seemed to bar her path, too dense to pass. She grew panicked, haunted by the voice that was so familiar, but just beyond recognition, just beyond understanding. She began running, frantically trying to escape the trees, the house, but her path took her to the painting. Somehow, the trees in the painting were more real than anything around her, and the forest of the house became more like a painting, stiff, fixed, fake. It grew suffocating and seemed to be pressing down on her from all sides. Desperate, panicked, she ran to the painting, its frame expanding on all sides as she approached. Just as she was about to cross onto the little footpath at the center, she woke. 
Confused and heart racing, she sat up in the massive bed and looked around. The curtains had been drawn and light filled the room. Her suitcase sat open, empty, and her shoes had been arranged along one wall near a dresser. Her toiletries were arranged nicely along the surface. She rubbed her eyes and slipped out of the bed, which had proved to be extremely comfortable. As she neared the dresser, she saw a little card, crisp and white, with sharp black writing reading, Your Meals Prepared, on the face of it, and nothing on the interior. Huh. Margot thought she could get used to this sort of treatment, though she was discomforted by how heavily she had slept. To think that someone could enter her room and rearrange all of her belongings for her, and she hadn't even stirred. She dressed and made her way to the kitchen, where the grumpy chef then shooed her back out and into the adjoining small dining room. He brought her her brunch and left before she could ask any questions about the other dining hall and that mysterious painting. The day was much as the previous day had been, though the lawyer did not come along this time. She found herself unwilling to watch as the team of serious evaluators squabbled over priceless items, so she sought out Grace, thinking she might ask about the painting. She found Grace folding linens into a series of stacks along a side table. She gave the same pinched smile that felt more like a snarl to Margot. "'What are you doing?' she asked politely, though she felt she sounded more like a nervous child. Grace continued to fold and arrange for a moment before she answered. For ease of evaluating, I am arranging the linens according to type, age, size, etc., she responded curtly. She clearly didn't approve of how her home was being broken down. Margot could appreciate her sentiment. I see. It's a shame, isn't it? Margot tried to be sympathetic and sociable, but Grace was having none of it. Shame? Yes, I suppose it is a shame that Master Grouse had no heirs to salvage his historic estate. Just you, from the dregs of his bloodline... She glanced up at Margot with a cutting glare that held her silent. I didn't ask for this, you know, Margot responded quietly. Yes, obviously, Grace responded. She seemed unwilling to acknowledge Margot further, and so she left her to her work. She thought that perhaps the lawyer would know more about the painting and resolved to ask him the next time they met. And that's all I did, because I didn't have time to finish this one. <laughs> mm, I still like it. I do, I do want to know how it ends, because especially with Grace getting all saucy. <laughs> I forgot I made Grace. I, because I intended to write more. Grace was actually going to be a character, not just a side. Sass master. Sass master. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, yeah, it definitely makes it feel like there's a lot of the story that you weren't able to put down. But the part that you do have is so detailed and so well done. Should I tell people what I intended? If you want to. You don't have to. Um, so I intended <laughs> that there would be a couple more sleepless nights of trying to get into this painting and eventually perhaps going to the painting mm-hmm. uh, and sleepless nights slowly wearing it down and by the time she finally leaves she's decided that the only 10% exactly the 10% she's allowed to keep could amount to the painting so she's gonna keep the painting Ooh. but um, yeah I, I got uncertain about how I was gonna end it and whether or not she would ever come back from the painting <laughs> so then I just was like well it's due I might as well stop writing and just <laughs> leave it unfinished (laughs) you um you really capture the the feel of like classic gothic haunted house stories (laughs) yay which is which is interesting because it's it's a house that you know during the day it's completely filled with people Mm -hmm. um it's only it's only once she's left alone Mm -hmm. that that weird things start happening so is it in her head or is it the house it feels like the house to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it's not the house. Oh. I'm going to say it's just the painting. Oh. Fair. Mm, all right. Fair. Okay. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> dropped a bomb. Mm. You be the decider of the story. <laughs> you, you have it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I liked the prompts a lot for that one, and I wanted to do a couple of the prompts, and I was, I'm happy with the one I chose, but I, I do regret not finishing it. Alas, that's what happens when you only have a fortnight. And and other stuff that that and push on you and you're like, Meh. Exactly that sound. The sound of despair, but I want to do a thing but despair. Yes. But you also wrote. You also mm-hmm. flexed those muscles and you took the time and you thought of a creative story. So exactly. congratulations. And we have all been in that position where we've written something and we're like, I barely even touched the prompt. Yeah. <laughs> Guys. Like what, my second yeah. or third? My third. The third prompt, <laughs> where I never touched the actual prompt yeah. in my writing. I mean, yeah, and I think we've all had unfinished stories, too, mm-hmm. but, hey, again, we're writing. Yeah, yeah, I still enjoyed the practice, and I still like what I did, so. Yeah, you do, once again, I, I actually really like the way you 
you break down, you have that like little bit of art critique where it's like, there's nothing <laughs> interesting about this painting. It's really just a picture of a forest. <laughs> it's like, there's no framing. There's no emphasizing certain things. It's just like somebody just slapped a picture up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, they didn't try. It's basically as if I took a picture of the forest <laughs> because I have the worst photographic <laughs> eye ever. And tried to, like, blow it up and frame it. It would not go well. It would not go well. It's also kind of making funny of myself, because I love putting things right in the middle, and I love densely packed forests. <laughs> I take so many pictures of densely packed, gnarled winter trees with a central path or something, so my whole body of thesis work, shock! Shoot, now that you say that. <laughs> yeah, but people don't always like that. It's, you know, people, it's a... It's so a, like no, a challenging no. thing. It's just Are a, you doing it to subvert them. I am. That's what I'm doing. It's not just because I like it. It's because I'm challenging. <laughs> yeah, intentional. <laughs> TM. Yeah. <clears throat> but thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Real fast. Did you just try to trademark intentional? <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I say it in so many art critiques. <laughs> I noticed this little part where it got weird. Intentional. <laughs> I meant to do that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Rattle, rattle, shuffle, shuffle. I just gurgle, to be gurgle, gurgle. Ow. The full howl of a wolf. <laughs> yes, Foggy, that is my leg. Oh my goodness. Oh, hey, it's my turn, isn't it? It's your turn. Oh, hey guys. Hi, hi, hi. Keep shuffle, fun. shuffle. Um, yeah, I wrote a story too. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, would you like to hear? Mm-hmm. No. Brenna, I would love to hear you say what prompt you chose and then read your story. There we oh, go. Oh, did you do it in order? Wow, okay. That's a little bit of a challenge for me, but I'm uh, <laughs> feeling it today. Um, I believe in you. You can do the thing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I chose the hunt. I'm kidding. I didn't. I chose <laughs> the portrait that was a little bit too real. Um, yeah. Uh, it's called the portrait. So it could have been real clear. <laughs> We're real inventive with titles, guys. Of the titles. portrait by Brenna Gay. <laughs> <laughs> The fact that you can't stop laughing when I introduce that I've written a story is really... It's the way you, I laughed at myself when it's, I heard it I just immediately picture you like a, little kid. In, like a little kid in front of the class being yeah. like, this is my story by Brenna Gay, <laughs> the day at the zoo. Yeah. Nope. Well, that's sad. That's how it feels <clears throat> often. Okay. <clears throat> the portrait. There was a really nice exhibit on Rodan there. Sharon paused and sipped a little more white wine to build suspense. And they had some lovely busts of other artists I could never remember all the names of. You know, and I know we aren't supposed to take pictures in a museum, but I couldn't resist taking a picture of this one painting on the third floor because she pulled out her phone, opened the photo album, and selected the image she wanted. Mom, you can take pictures in a museum as long as it's not flash photography, her daughter said, holding her wine glass in hand. Her mom looked up at her briefly and noticed she looked very elegant at this age. When she was younger, she was quite gangly. Also briefly, she wondered when she had grown out of that. Well, that's good to know. Now, look. Her daughter, Alice, looked at the image on the phone, leaning gracefully forward to see better what her mother had taken a photograph of. She had used the flash. Her daughter saw the fine brush strokes even. It was a good photograph of the painting, but she didn't see what was spectacular about it. It wasn't a portrait of anyone famous, or looked like anyone in particular that they knew, but instead was a young woman, 20-something, posing in a long green gown, with a bowl of flowers and fruits beside her and some regalia in the background. She had a pretty little smile on, Long brunette hair, which curled nicely at the bottom. Yeah, I I don't get it, Mom. Why did you take the picture? Her mother giggled a little and turned the phone to look at herself before turning it back to Alice and shoving it just a little closer to her face. Don't you see it? Then, considering a bit, oh, well, maybe not in the one photograph. Damn it, Allie, how do I make it do the Harry Potter thing? You touch the screen and keep touching it for a live photo, Mom. Did you take a live photo of it? I think so. It's all automatic now. Shoot, I can never keep up with all the updates and things. Here, see if I took a Harry Potter photo. She handed the phone to her daughter and picked up her wine, still smiling broadly. She was very happy about this painting. Alice took the phone and held the screen down to activate the three-second film loop of a live photo. The painting wiggled a bit as her mom had not kept a steady hand, and then Alice saw it. It blinked. She blinked. The girl posed in the painting had blinked, and her mom made a little ooh sound on the video. Ooh, did you see it? Her mother squealed almost exactly as she had in the video. What? How did you do that? Was it a tableau of a painting or something? She played the loop back several more times. 
No, it's a painting, for real. I talked to the usher person at the museum about it, and he said it's haunted. That girl, she was in love with this man who was like a witch in Scotland or something, but she was already engaged to be married to another man. And when she did marry the other man because he was rich and stuff, the witch boyfriend killed her and trapped her soul in the painting. She took a large breath. And now some people at the museum attract her or something, and she blinks at them. She blinked at me. Alice took a deep breath and smiled, playing the video back again. Mom. She took a large sip of her wine. People cannot trap other people in paintings. The usher was probably just selling you a story. There's got to be a better explanation than a witch lover. Well, there isn't. She had a witch lover, and now she's in a painting forever, just blinking away. Sharon reached for her phone, which Alice handed back, and she pressed the screen herself to see the blink once more as she leaned back in her chair. Yeah, yeah, okay. I've got to see this for myself. Do! Go to the museum, third floor on the left by this little naked baby angel statue playing a harp. I want to see if it blinks at you too. Maybe we're related to her and that's why she blinked at me. Sharon was clearly tickled pink over the whole experience. Or what if it's because you're a natural witch with the power to free her and she's signaling for help, but you didn't free her. Alice countered her mother's absurdity with some of her own, smiling at how much her mother loved the fantastic and fake in the world. Oh no. Sharon's smile dropped and she played the life out of again. But I'm not a witch. I can't free her. It's okay, Mom. She probably knows you're not a witch. Alice touched her mother's hand gently to comfort her after what was meant to be a silly retort that her mother had taken more seriously than she had expected. Here, have the last bit of my quiche with all the good hand-me bits, and I'll tell you if she blinks at me when I go to the museum. No, my waist can't take it. You eat it. You girls always run and yoga and stuff. You can afford a little bit more ham and eggs. You look great, Mom. You can definitely afford some, too. I have to either diet or exercise because you know I'm not doing both and I don't want to exercise. Just eat your quiche, love. Sharon patted her daughter's hand on her own, picked up the last bit of wine in her glass and smiled. Three days later, on a Tuesday, Alice went to the museum to see for herself what sort of prank had been played on her mother. She didn't go to the museum much because they changed their exhibits only a few times a year and the main artists they showed weren't usually her style. Still, she trudged up the stairs past the Asian art exhibits, the Rodin pieces, and the interactive Rodin exhibit, which looked like a weird grown-up fun thing, on the second floor, which was full of housewares that were made for or painted by artists and arrived at the third and top floor of the museum. She turned right, even knowing her mother said it was to the left, to look at the very whole of the top floor and really investigate the scene, but it all seemed filled with very ordinary portraits of men and women and a few children, plus the occasional bust or statue. Finally, she saw the little cherub statue her mother had described and then located the portrait of the brunette lady nearby it. The painting was hung at eye level, the woman's gaze maybe two feet above her own. Alice tried to discreetly shift her position right and left to see if there were cutouts or discrepancies in the canvas. She didn't want to be too overt because she was sure she was on CCTV security cameras within the museum. She looked hard at the portrait, changing the angles she looked from, the distances, she even waited about an hour to see how the lighting change affected the viewer's experience, but nothing seemed to create the effect her mother had captured on the live photo. She emboldened, a little frustrated and very curious, and then was just reaching her finger to the edge of the painting's frame to peek behind it to see if she could move it, when an usher appeared suddenly and said, Ma'am, please do not touch the art. Oh, she started it being caught. I, I, thank you, I, I won't, but I have a question for you if you have time. The usher, she now noticed, was a little flushed and probably had to run up here and stop her from some office on the lower floor. Yes? How can I help you? Well, I was wondering a little bit more about this portrait. Could you tell me more than this plaque? The plaque was very concise and very unhelpful to her, really. It stated, quote, Marie Catherine Duval, Irish, 1726 through 1749, artist unknown, Switzerland, on loan from the private collection of Bill and Patricia Irving, end quote. Uh, yeah. The young man replied. His tone changed to something more to rote memorization. This portrait is of Mary Catherine Duval. She was um, she was not noble, but born to a wealthy merchant in Ireland who then, as a family, moved to England and she married into a noble family later. She died only a few years after this portrait was made in a hunting accident and, wait, wait, pardon me, in childbirth. Her great-great-grandnephew's family has loaned us her portrait from their private collection. He paused, the air pregnant, as he seemed to wait for Alice to provide confirmation of what he had said. She did not. Wait, so she died in childbirth or in a hunting accident? Childbirth. They always died in childbirth back then. Hmm. She paused, arms akimbo, thinking about what he had said in contrast to her mother's story. This was very likely not the same usher her mother had spoken to. Modern medicine has really helped us out, the young man said weakly, clearly trying to avoid confrontation in case he had offended. She didn't respond, still thinking if she should even ask this young man about the people reporting this portrait blink sometimes, 
or if she should just go home and research Mary Catherine Duvall herself when the young man spoke again and cut through her thoughts. Is there anything else I can help you with? No, she said, deciding it would be no help to ask him. But thank you for your time. Of course. He turned to walk away, then turned back and said, And please remember not to touch or photograph the art. I won't, she said, raising her arms a little to indicate that she was not touching anything. The young man turned the corner then, and she heard the little clicks of his shoes as he strode down the stairs confidently. She pulled a little notebook out of her purse and took down all the information on the placard, then took out her phone and discreetly took a live video of her own to show her mother. I could swear to you it blinked, Richard. You saw it blink in the Harry Potter photo, Alice. Please tell your father the portrait blinked at me and also that I am not crazy or a witch. Sharon's voice had raised considerably, much like her hackles, when her husband of 34 years had doubted her sanity after she told him the story of her recent museum visit. Alice pulled her phone a little away from her ear as she put the volume down a few clicks. Mom, are we on speakerphone, or are you just going to try and relay everything? We are not on speakerphone, and it won't do any good for me to tell your father because he thinks I'm a liar. There was a loud sigh on the line, and Sharon came back on quieter and speaking only to Alice. Oh my God, that man has been pushing my buttons all day, Allie. I swear he's going to put me in an early grave with the way he picks at me. I tried to show him the Harry Potter photo of the girl, right? And I must have deleted it when I was cleaning storage things off my phone so I could take a picture of June's teacup pig for the gals in the book club, but I can't find it anymore in my trash can folder, and now your father thinks I'm a loony. Jesus H. Well, at least he finally left the room so I can hear myself think again. What were you calling about, Peanut? Did you go to the museum? Uh, yeah, yeah, I actually am calling because of that. If this is a bad time, I can call back, though. No, sh it's fine time. Her voice picked up a little enthusiasm. Did she blink at you, too? Are we related to her? No, no, Mom, she didn't blink. I talked to an usher, too, and he had this whole different story about who she was and how she died. Like, don't be mad, but I'm not sure how you saw or photographed her blinking. There was a long pause on the line. Every second made Alice a little more anxious about how her mother would react. Well, as long as you tell your father you saw the photograph blink, too, because I cannot handle his sass on this one today. And it's okay. Maybe she disliked me, or it's a miracle, or maybe she did think of a witch that could free her because I was wearing my black dress that day. You know, the one with the free hippie sleeves that go white at the end? I don't think I'm going to wear that dress to the museum again. Maybe then she'll get it. Yeah, maybe. Alice took in a relieved breath, but felt her face tighten a little, too. Her mother was so engrossed in the unreal, it literally made her cringe at times. Well, I'm going to go again with Mrs. Ludworth on the 17th, so maybe if I see the same usher person I talked to that day, I'll take down his name and see if it was the same guy. Yeah, okay. I, I took down the information on the plaque by the portrait, so I'll, I'll Google her too and let you know. Honey, if the witch boyfriend trapped here in a painting, you better not Google him. It could be dangerous. Just Google her, you know? Oh, okay, Mom. I promise not to Google the witch boyfriend. Okay, good. Now, stay on the line. I'm going to call your father back in here so you can prove you saw her blink in my Harry Potter photo that I lost. Richard... Richard, your daughter wants to speak to you. Please pick up the phone in the living room to... A click engaged on the line and her father's voice cut in. Can hear you without you shouting at me, Sharon. You're just one room away. Hi, Alley Cat. What's up, Peanut? Hi, Dad. I just wanted to take a moment and let you know that Mom showed me the live photo she took when we were at brunch on Sunday and that I, too, saw the painting blink. But I also went to the museum and have no idea how she got that photo because the painting doesn't blink. Didn't blink for you, her mother responded. Hmm. Okay. Thank you for sharing that, sweetie. No problem, Dad. I really did see it blink. I don't know if it was a prank or something, but... Well, I told you it was the witch boyfriend who trapped her soul in the painting, dear. Her mother cut in. I know, Mom, but I'm, like, really sure there isn't a witch boyfriend after what the other usher told me about her. But I am going to Google her and not the witch boyfriend just in case, so I'll call back if I find out more, okay? Above and beyond, her father said. Yes, and thank you, Peanut, her mother said at the exact time. Okay. Well, I'm going to let you go now, but I'll call back if I find anything. I love you. Love you too, Allie, her mother said. Love you too, Peanut, her father said a fraction of a second behind her mother. She heard the click of the line disengaging, pocketed her phone, and took a long sip of wine from the glass she had just poured. Her girlfriend was not going to believe this one. And that's it. That's my story about a portrait. <laughs> I, I uh, remember when we first read this and being so amused by it. Yeah. And... Absolutely loving the idea of, like, a woman in her 50s or something just being like, it took a Harry Potter picture. Can you just maybe <laughs> yeah. show the Harry Potter picture? Do the Harry Potter thing. And it was like, I could immediately see that woman in my head. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she goes to the art gallery with her friends on the weekends. She, she has friends with her daughter. Watch that she wears and bracelet that she wears. She's got a you know, ring that matches her necklace. She. Mm -hmm. I <laughs> 
She's a very specific kind of woman, yeah. and I can <laughs> picture her immediately, and I'm so amused. Yeah. Because I, it, you, it, you I love her. nailed it. <laughs> you did. Thank you. Everything she says is just so believable. <laughs> and I love the quiche part. Just <laughs> <laughs> I either have to diet or exercise, and I'm not exercising. <laughs> you girls are always so thin. You eat the hammy bits. Yeah. Knows I'm not giving up the hammy bits. <laughs> no, right? I feel like... Oh, that is a loud dog. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm glad that it worked out. I am a little bit embarrassed that this is a little bit like my conversations with my mother and also <laughs> me completely understanding I could be that woman in the future. I could be that woman, could be that woman like right now. Mm. I just figured out live photos before I wrote this story, so... I immediately, when I read the story, wondered if my phone had live photos, because if it does, I've never engaged with them. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe it's just an Apple thing, probably. I don't know. I have no idea. I just know that I have it on my phone, and I, it's like auto-turned on. Every picture I take is a live photo. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Apples work differently than robots, that's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, but yeah, it's. I didn't really give it some good resolution, but I liked leaving it a little bit open-ended. I, I like where it left off, where... She's going to research. Maybe there's more. Maybe there's some truth to it. We don't know if it actually blinked. Or she may just be like, uh, yeah, I'll look it up. And, and then, then never. just never gets around <laughs> yeah. to it. And her right. mom doesn't bring it up because she's moved on to something else that's happened. Oh, yes. Yeah. That, there's always something distracting her. I mean, she deleted the other photos to take a picture of June's teacup pig that she's got to show the ladies at the book group. And she does stuff. Her life is full. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's a very, very busy woman. Mm-hmm. I... It amuses me. It tickles me as much as it tickles Sharon. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I kind of had an ending for it, but then I I didn't really write it down, and I appreciate the ambiguity and could go either way, yeah. so, yeah. So I do also want to know, I want a whole nother story that's a, you know, gothic horror story that right. is Catherine Duvall's story. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that would be fun. Like, Sorted love together. affair. Angry sorcerer. Scottish witch boyfriend, you know. Some random hot painter that's going to paint her and she doesn't realize is actually related to the sorcerer. He's going to sorcerer her into a painting. <laughs> you cannot trap people in paintings. According to Alice. Just saying. Just saying. In this gothic tale of mystery and romance, you can. <laughs> yes, that's the, beauty, that's the beauty part of writing. That's the beautiful part of writing. <laughs> You can write anything. The more we write and read, the worse we are <laughs> speaking, I swear. This was hilarious. <laughs> Good time with radio. Pick your choose of the beauty part. <laughs> oh, God. You are the pick. I am the pick. Do you want to round us out, Amy? Yeah, right. please yeah, help oh, us. All right. Okay. Please. Um, so, I did not write about a painting. Gasp. <gasps> I know, right? Um, and for full disclosure, I actually went back today and did some minor editing on this, uh-huh. uh, because the bane of my existence is tense. Uh-huh. Um, every time I write, I switch between the tenses pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's why editing is an important part of writing. Yeah, except I normally don't edit my stories. It's like I write them and then I throw them into a deep, dark hole in my computer. That's okay, because you have them for later if you ever want to, you know, do them. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely... Definitely needed to do some cleaning up. And I, I'm I just picturing a cave of stories <laughs> on your computer. <laughs> just like some people have got pits. Some people have got, like... She has to spelunk down into a headlight oh on my to God. try and find a story. Oh, no. Hers is like trapped behind a wall with a freaking dumbwaiter. Like... Uh, but the rope's been cut. You can never get those stories again. Oh, my God. Don't say it. That's happened to me more than once. Mm. Also, I just want to point out that I stopped myself from singing. I was gonna sing. And I didn't. Why? Congratulations. <laughs> Why? Because this episode will have no singing on it. <laughs> I've heard that before. Alright. So, um, instead, I went for the prompt, A Hunt. And I actually have a title for this one. Uh, the title for this is A Hunt for Enlightenment. The door crashes open, startling terror awake. Actually, putting it that way is a mild understatement. The second she hears the snick of the doorknob catch releasing, she's opening her eyes. It's the slamming of wood against drywall that sends her careening to the floor, reaching for any of the numerous weapons she has nearby, and none of which she has any real proficiency in. Of course, she doesn't manage to grab any of them. 
Get up, her sister says, glaring at her from the doorway. We gotta go. Fuck off, Tara groans, wiping out her eyes. What the fuck, Jules? It's... She stares blearily at her clock, but between her befuddled state and the glasses still lying on her nightstand, she can't read it. Fuck, it's gotta be early. One, it's after ten in the morning, vampire. Two, they're coming. We gotta go. Jules goes to Tara's closet, wrenching it open and throwing the first clothes she comes across at her sister. Where's your go bag? Trunk of the car, Tara replies. What's going on? The contained panic her sister is exhibiting is finally getting through her sleep-addled brain, and she struggles to her feet while reaching for her glasses. She ducks as a pair of chucks are thrown in her general direction, narrowly missing her head. The trunk? Seriously? Fuck. Jules whirls on her, brown eyes gone near black with fear. It's the game you've been playing. Someone must have figured you out. And now you've managed to piss off some seriously scary people, and I can't fix it with the time we have. Terror just blinks at her, eyes owlish behind her glasses. Jules sighs loudly in exasperation. You're so fucking stupid, you'd suffocate if your lizard brain didn't automate your breathing. She threw another piece of clothing at Terror, who dutifully pulled it on. We're being swatted, for starters, and we need to fucking leave. Oh shit, Terror says, moving faster as she tries to pull on both pants and a bra. Oh shit! The panic is seeping into her, finally. People die because of this shit. Fuck, 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 fuck. The litany of swear words continues unabated, if muffled, as she yanks a hoodie on over her head. What do we do? We fucking leave, dipshit, Jewel says. Scanner says the nearest cop was only eight minutes away, and that was three minutes ago. Grab a pack and your necessities, because we can't take the car, and we can't go out the front door to get your go bag. Jules, Terror says, and the desperation in her voice draws her sister's attention. She rubs both of her hands along her face. All of my backup meds are in that bag, and I was supposed to resupply tomorrow. I know, Jules replies, coming forward to give her sister a hug. We'll figure it out. Get your shit out of the bathroom, and let's fucking go. Tara looks back at the house, after they crest the nearby hill. She sees the SWAT team ramming their door open, sees the black-clothed bodies swarm inside like ants entering an anthill. She clutches at the backpack straps, first one she grabbed, and it's her old Superman one, of course, and feels a bit numb. She lets Jules grab her by the arm and pull her away. A few hours later, they're at a truck stop two towns over, drinking bad coffee and eating rubbery pancakes. Jules has pulled a phone out of her bag, a burner Tara didn't even know she had, and is looking at local news on the tiny screen. Tara left her phone behind, but her laptop was still in her bag, turned off. Nothing yet, Jules muses. You'd think SWAT rolling into a quiet residential neighborhood would have at least made the local blog. You'd think so, Tara murmurs, watching in fascination as her pancakes refused to absorb the syrup she poured on top. What's going on, Julia? Jules puts the phone down and glares at Terror. It's that fucking game you've been doing. Game? The hunt for enlightenment. Terror blinked. Wait, what? The hunt for enlightenment was another in a long line of scavenger hunts, the kind that involved shady interactions with entities across the globe, the potential for illegal actions from trespassing to hacking, and a prize that ranged from simple accolade to millions of dollars. Tara had stumbled across it while researching a paper for a computer science course and was hooked. Two years later, she was part of a team that had members in France, Russia, Egypt, and Colombia. They were purportedly further along than any other team, although just barely. How? I mean, did one of the other teams do this? Tara asks. We've been really good about hiding our locations since the last breach. The last breach being when their member in China suddenly disappeared after a particularly spirited interaction online with one of the other teams. All the other team members were recommended to relocate. Jules had not been amused. We got hacked about 20 minutes before I woke you, Jules replies. My computer started going nuts, and I just knew it had to be bad. I didn't have much time to figure anything out before it was fried. Fuckers overheated everything. But I recognize the virus. We've been dealing with it at work. It's popping up everywhere. Jules worked IT security for a mid-sized corporation specializing in bioengineering. Most days were spent dealing with her coworkers and their ineptitude. But lately, she'd been pulling later hours as the company became a real target. She took a drink of her coffee, scowling at the taste. Or perhaps just scowling in general. It's a damn good thing I got a hunch and turned the scanner on. Terror nods. How long until we can go home, do you think? 
Jules shrugs. Swatting relies on bad info that's easy to refute, like hostage situations. If the house is empty, no hostages, then the cops will calm down and actually start looking into the report. She sighs. Still, we'd probably be best off sleeping over at someone else's house for a few days. Really let things calm down. Especially when they see the rigs, you know it'll just rile them up. They'll want to look inside, we'll refuse, half of it is fried anyway, it'll end badly for everyone. Good thing it's Saturday. Terror glances at her bag. I only have one dose left, Jules. We can't exactly lay low if I have to go to the pharmacy. Jules sighs again, and reaches across the table to grasp Terror's hand. I know. Do you know anyone who can help? Anyone from your group? Tara rubs her free hand against her jaw, feeling the smooth skin there. Mira might help. She's at a similar dosage right now. She might even let us crash. Oh, thank God, Jules says, slumping slightly in her seat. I actually like Mira. Tara smiles wryly. She likes you too, although maybe not in the same way. Jules rolls her eyes. At least she takes no for an answer, which is better than most of the douchebags at work. She wrinkles her nose. Is that a girl thing? Hashtag not all men, Tara says with a laugh. Mira answers her door with a smile. Terror! Hello, Julia, she says, mouth widening even further. She looks the picture of a 1950s housewife, pleated dress with large polka dots and a Peter Pan collar. What a pleasant surprise. Come on in. She ushers the two inside, gesturing for them to sit in the living room while she goes to grab coffee. I just made a fresh pot. Do you want some? Yes, please, Jules says, tossing her bag on the floor before collapsing on the couch. Just water, thanks, Tara called. Mira came back a few moments later, carrying a cup of water and a mug. She hands them off, saying, I seem to remember you liked yours black, Julia, but let me know if you need anything. It's good, thanks, Jules replies, blowing on the steaming mug before taking a sip. I'm sorry we didn't call, but I lost my phone, Tara says, grasping her cup with both hands. Our place is getting fumigated, and I was hoping you had a spare room for a couple of days, just until Monday. She and Jules had settled on the lie, with the idea that Terror would bring up the meds later, when it felt more natural. Of course, Mira beams. You're in luck. My mother just left from her yearly visit. Terror winces. How'd it go? She rubs her hand along her chin absentmindedly. Mira laughs a bit bitterly. Oh, the usual. She wonders how her baby could do this to her, wishes I could just be normal. Am I eating enough? Have some money for food and rent. The usual confusing mixture of love and disgust. She sighs. I'm just glad to be back in a dress. It's very lovely, Tara says, eyeing it a bit wistfully. Sometimes I wish I were the dress's type. If I can, anyone can, Mira says, giving a twirl. Tara shakes her head. I'm just not quite comfortable in them, you know? I just feel like I'm teetering around half naked. She bumps her shoulder against Jules. I blame this one. She wouldn't know how to wear a dress if her life depended on it. Some role model. Jules harumps, but doesn't say anything. She takes another sip of her coffee. You'd both look absolutely fetching in anything, Mira soothes, laughing behind her hand as Jules glares at terror. But no pressure, obviously. Wear whatever makes you happy. Or comfortable. Cheers, Terror says, raising her glass before drinking. Mira shows them to the guest bedroom, handing them towels for later. I have extras of everything, too, in case you forgot. Toothbrush, deodorant, razors, it's all available. Thanks. Where's the bathroom? Jules asks, setting the towel down on top of her bag. Down the hall on the left. Terror smiles at Mira, opening up her bag to pull out her laptop and medicine kit. Thanks, Mira. She opens up the kit, then swears. Mira glances at her with worry. Everything okay? I only have one dose left, Terror says with a sigh. And I left my pharmacy info at home. It'll be a nightmare trying to get more without it. Mira frowns. What do you want? Two milligram estradiol? Tablets. I have to take them every day. Mira shook her head. I moved to injections a month ago. I don't have anything anymore. Fuck, Terror says, sinking to the bed. She ran her hands over her face. Did she feel stubble? She hasn't even missed a dose yet. It couldn't be. It wouldn't happen that fast. Mira steps forward, gripping Tara's shoulder in comfort. Don't worry, I'll reach out. I know a couple of people who might be able to spare a few pills. You just need them to last through the weekend, right? Plus, maybe a few to spare? Tara takes a shaky breath. Yeah, 
Just a few days worth, and then I can go get more. We'll handle it, Mira says. I'll go make some calls. Jules walks in as Mira walks out, exchanging smiles as they pass. I take it it didn't go well? She asks as she sinks onto the bed next to Terror. She's on injections, Terror says, still running her hands over her face. Jules gives a small sigh before reaching out and pulling her sister's hands away. She holds them in her own lap, running her thumbs over the backs. It'll be okay, she murmurs. It's going to be okay. That night, Tara dreams of her father. He was standing in the bathroom, wearing nothing but boxers covered in rubber duckies that were his father's day gift that year. She stood in the doorway, shyly watching as he ran the electric razor over his face. He sees her watching and motions her in. With a small grunt, he lifts her onto the sink counter before returning to his morning ablutions. With a satisfied noise, he turns off the razor and hands it to her, before reaching for the straight edge and shaving cream. He lathers up, pausing to dab a small amount on her nose. She giggles and wipes it away. As he runs the straight edge along his jaw, she fiddles with the electric razor, turning it on and off again. She's examining it from all sides when she sees her father finish up. You can try if you want, he says, turning fully towards her. Just for a moment. Her grin widens, and under his watchful gaze, she clumsily runs the electric razor along her cheeks. He stops her from getting too close to her hair, and they're both laughing by the time she turns it off. Her father runs his fingers along her jaw. Smooth as a baby's bottom, he teases. Someday that'll change. She frowns. But I like my face. He laughs. It's a good face, but puberty stops for no one, son. He lifts her down onto the ground. Come on, time for school. She runs her hands along her cheeks as she walks out of the bathroom and into darkness. Shh, shh, Jewel soothes as terror struggles awake. There are tears on her face. She can feel the trails they're leaving. Her hands are grasping at her face again, and Jules pulls them away before laying her own heated palms in their place. It burns against the raw skin. Terror must have been clawing at her own face in her sleep. With a sob, Terror burrows into Jules' shoulder. She clings to her sister in the dark of the room. It's smooth, Jules whispers, holding Terror tight. It's smooth. The pounding on the front door reverberates through the house, and it wakes them all. Jules and Terror both sit up in bed as they listen to Mira going down the hall towards the front. Fuck, Jules whispers. The sound of voices drifts back to them, and even without words, it's obviously the police. There's a certain cadence to authority that betrays them. With a sigh, Terror rolls out of bed and starts dressing. Better dress than not, she says to the look Jules shoots her which earns her a shrug and her sister also getting out of bed. A soft knock precedes Mira opening the door, poking her head around it. Oh good, you're up, she says. There is an edge to her voice. The cops are here, looking for you. Tara nods. Sorry, she says. Jules ran a hand through her hair. We'll be out of your hair soon, she says. Come on. Tara and Julia walk to the front, holding hands, knuckles white as they grasp each other. Damien and Julia White? The officer standing inside Mira's front door asks, looking at them both. It's Ter- Teresa, Tara replies. I had it legally changed two years ago. He blinks. Officer Smith, I'm going to need you both to come to the station with us. The officer looks closer at them. Officer Whitaker, he says, gesturing to the other uniform standing on the porch. Why don't you take Teresa- out to the squad car while I talk to Miss Julia here. There was a moment of hesitation, but Terror separates her hand from Jules's and follows the other officer out of Mira's house. She gives the other woman a small wave, receiving a half-hearted one in return. Once Whitaker has brought Terror far enough away, Smith turns to Jules. Is everything all right, ma'am? I noticed your brother has scratches all over his face. I will seriously fuck your world up if you don't refer to my sister appropriately. Jules snaps back. She had a nightmare last night and did that to herself. I'm perfectly fine, except for having to deal with you. Can I go join my sister now? He bows out of her way. By all means, we can go to the station now. You know, Mira pipes up a bit timidly. He hasn't said you're under arrest. You don't have to. It's okay, Jules says before Officer Smith can respond. Might as well get it over with. We didn't do anything wrong. She gives Mira a quick hug. Thanks for letting us crash. 
The thanks for the other thing was left unsaid, but she knew Mira heard that one too. Any time, Mira says. Need me to call a lawyer? The group has one, and he won't charge much. Sure, Jewel says, moving toward the door again. Couldn't hurt. Ma'am, Officer Smith says to Mira, nodding his head, before following Jules out the door. Ah, and that's where I left it. <laughs> I feel like, okay, this excellent story. You, I, I want to see the end of this one. I wish we got more of it. I also did not know that that was a thing. Oh, Sorry. the swatting. Yeah. I remember also having to be told about it. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, so for, for those of you who are unaware, swatting is when somebody places a false police report that results in the SWAT team being sent to your house. People have died from it too, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and it happens predominantly with like, online gamers and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Because people are petty idiots. <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah. I, when you first had us read that story before we recorded it, like, you, I really appreciate you explaining that. Yeah. Because I was like, I, I get that SWATing is when the SWAT team comes to your house. But yeah. I didn't realize that it was like a verb now. As yeah. As Googling <laughs> SWATing. Yeah. Yeah. Less convenient for everyone. Do they make it? Are they okay? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I, admittedly, when I got to the end of the story, I was very grateful that I had to leave it there uh, in order to meet the deadline because I didn't know really where I was going with it. Hmm. Because I wanted to tell a story that was both about hunting and being hunted. Yeah. And And you always do that well. You always do the multiple facets of your prompt, you know. Teresa is hunting for acceptance and for a state of being in herself that is where she's comfortable. And then Julia is hunting for a way to protect her sister. And, you know, everyone's hunting. Their team is hunting for enlightenment, for the clues. And then the SWAT is hunting. Like, there's hunting everywhere. Yeah. Even Mira's hunting Julia. Sort of. Like, you know. <laughs> With a wink and a nod. But less, less predatory. <laughs> way less predatory. I love She understands now. So yeah. I love her. <laughs> Your stomach also loves me. Just, it just won't be quiet uh, today. It's going to be so embarrassing later when I'm at work interview trying to be like, ignore my belly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I love, I'm always fascinated by the crazy online shady games where you have to interact with people. I know we know a couple of people play them like Shay played them in the past, I think. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to play them, but I also want no part of giving people my personal information to contact me. Yeah. So you can't play the real good ones. So mm. they're like really in there. So I, so that already makes me want more of a story because I want to know what they're doing. I want to know what they've gotten themselves into on that level. But then I want to know who they pissed off that swatted them. And then I want to know like, right. and genuinely, I genuinely like the sisters. I like their friend groups. I just want I to know too. all the characters. I want to follow the story and see where it goes. Agreed. You have to write more. Turn it into a novel. I appreciate this story. Oh, yeah, I fucking sang, didn't I? Yeah. They were singing in this episode. <laughs> Whatever. It's taboo. I'm into it. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this. And I think it's fun that none of us, like, really gave clear endings on our story. This was yeah, obviously a very busy time for everyone. And so, like, we wrote, we met the requirements, but yeah. it, didn't, it didn't tidy up well. This is the longest story I've written so far. Oh. Yeah, this one is over 2,800 words. Ooh. Nice. And is in the next one... To that is like twenty six hundred. Nice. And that was my first story. <laughs> I don't. I've only broken two thousand three times. Apparently, I need to go back and look at all my word counts. I don't remember the one I wrote for a much later chapter. Viewers <laughs> um, is twenty one hundred or twenty four hundred. Oh, something. I think the one that I just wrote that we did the reading for, but not the recording for. Um, that's my longest, and it's like three thousand. Yeah, you went over. It yeah. Was, yeah, it was. I. But I ended it. It's exciting. Yeah. It had an yeah. ending. <laughs> always a challenge. Yeah. Sometimes that's always. like half the battle of being like, okay, I managed to hit the 500 word mark. How do I wrap it up? And that's exactly where I was at is I was like, okay, I've hit 500 words. Now I got to finish this. <laughs> so I wrote another thousand. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, it doesn't matter what my word limit is. I am bad at endings. I'm bad at conclusions to essays. I don't like wrapping things up. Loose threads all the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, does anyone have the prompts ready to go? Oh, I did. How okay, I, I was just starting to pull them out. I was like, I think somebody else already started Damn. this. For once, I have them on my phone right here. And yeah, the, the next prompts are mine, Reagan's. 
Uh, ooh, which 11 is my favorite number, and it's chapter 11. Ooh. ooh. The prompts were, are, the prompts are, tense change. Um, <laughs> sorry. You say. The prompts, it was sing song. It was not singing. <laughs> I was even. Uh, no, okay, uh, so clearly tense is making everyone tense. <laughs> I see what you did there. A, one, first prompt, option, <laughs> revisit an old prompt. Uh, B, draw a random tarot or rune and write based off of that. C, 500 plus words, 500 words or more, of prose. Mm. Yeah. Great. So thank you for listening. Uh, if you have been on the Instas at all lately, you probably saw a massive deluge of, of posts. That's I got a French caught word up. for flood. Yep, I got I got caught up, guys. That's what happened. I, yep. Much Welcome. appreciated. Yeah. Welcome to being live on Instagram Yay. finally. <laughs> um, but yes, we're we're getting better. And as time goes on and we eventually have free time again, I don't know what that's like, but it's coming. <laughs> it is soon. Soon. Uh, we'll we'll be better about this. Yeah. And and I also look forward to having a time where I can draw as well. I would love to hey. add some more pictures. So be inspired by my being inspired and be inspired as well. <laughs> Send us your things. Yeah. Thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you in a fort with. Nope. Can't. <laughs> see you forthwith. <laughs> we'll see you in a fortnight. Do you guys want to say it? We don't say it. Oh, well, you say it. Right on. Yeah. <laughs>Have you been recording this whole thing? Mm-hmm. Oh, sneezing cat of wonders. But it could be in the bloopers. You could be in the bloopers. I, Your I'm face probably. Could be in the bloopers. <gasps> face Mom's face blooper. could be the bloopers. <laughs> Helping the ele- elevators. There are no elevators. <laughs> they don't need help. They go up and down just fine. It's like you want to live on the blooper reel. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even blooper worthy. Just cut it out. <laughs> it probably won't get cut out. But did she have a belly full of wolves? It does sound like howling wolves. It really does. That's you swallowed a bunch of little you swallowed a little wolf pack, <laughs> and they are hungry, which is fabulous. For for real, <laughs> your stomach is also whoever it wants to be. Uh, yeah, much like my hair, I cannot control anything. <laughs> I edited this, and yet I don't make noises. I just make words with my mouth. Y- you you pato. Only when you got a wiggle booty. Ugh, my tucker. She can go her own way, go her own way. It was what I was going to do. <laughs> if you think that I didn't record that. <laughs> <laughs>